This morning, I have the privilege of being able to come and present uh, to you. This is a little different. Technically, uh, I'm kind of a preacher teacher. I'm not much of a storyteller necessarily. But when I was asked if I would come and present during this time, I had realized that the Advent season had already started. And just last week, you heard from Abby as she came and talked about Advent. And, um, and so this is really the journey towards Christmas. And even, even in your studies, I just heard this morning, somebody got all their work done for, for my wife's nutrition class. And so uh, people are getting things done as they prepare uh, for the Christmas season. So I thought maybe uh, it'd be interesting uh, to just share a little bit about my own Christmas story, uh, because m- many people don't know about it, because I, I don't get to sit and just share my life uh, in that way. Most of the time, it, it's teaching. But it be it's interesting, because many times people suspect that because I am the president of a Christian college, that Christianity has been a part of my life, all my life. But You may be surprised to know that actually Christianity has not been part of my life. Uh, For for a good majority of my early life, I was actually anti-Christian. I was against Christians. And actually, I was against Christmas, fought against Christmas. Uh, You see, I grew up in Long Island, New York, and uh, mom and dad, around age of six, decided that they would split up. Uh, prior to that time, we were, we were a, what I guess you'd call it a Catholic family. I know I was, I was uh, dedicated, baptized in the Catholic Church uh, as an infant, but I think we only went there like maybe Christmas and maybe Easter, maybe, uh, and that was about it. That was our, our association with the church. So there really wasn't much. I know that during that time, we celebrated holidays and so on. I have pictures in a book somewhere of birthdays and Christmas and Easter, so I know it happened, but I don't remember any of it because I was just too young. And so by the age of six, my parents split up and eventually they divorced and remarried. Eventually one moved out to Colorado and the other moved out to Florida, and so I spent my life kind of back and forth between, between families. When my mom remarried, and my mom was primarily who I was living with at the time, when my mom remarried, uh, she became a Jehovah's Witness. She married a Jehovah's Witness. I don't know if that means anything to you, but Jehovah's Witnesses are kind of a, uh, an offshoot of Christianity. They're actually a cult of Christianity. They have some really interesting belief systems. Uh, and I grew up in, in that church mo- all the way through high school. And, and not just grew up in that church. If, if you are a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses, you actually are an active participant in it. So I, I did all the training and all the learning that I needed to be, and I, I learned uh, very well how to fight against Christians, how to prove that Christians were wrong, and that the Bible doesn't say the things that the Christians say that it does, and that Christians are not just wrong, but they're actively leading people astray, and I had a responsibility to do something about that. And so I did. I went to the classes. I did my learning. I went out. I knocked on doors. I walked on streets. I handed out pamphlets. I did all that to fight against Christians. Christmas, primarily a big problem for us as as Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate Christmas. Christians obviously did. And we could prove why that was wrong and what was bad about it and so on. And, And like I said, I was pretty good about that. Actually, 
It's unfortunate now in the position that I am now, as I reflect back on my own past, there are people out there today that actually gave up Christianity largely because of the testimony that I gave them at the time. And that weighs heavily on me. Because it, was in, it wasn't until my high school years, uh, it's it just about coming into high school, that I began to really wrestle uh, with the truth. In, and this is one of the reasons why I am an educator. Because I believe, uh, actually there's, there's a lot of talk about this idea of integrating faith and, and learning. That you have to integrate Christ with learning. And I really have a hard time with that. Because for me, the perspective really is that the more that you get to the kernel of the truth that's out there, the more God will be amplified out of that. And that's what began to happen, is the more I began to study, the more actually I studied to fight against Christians, the more I tried to educate myself to understand so I could prove that they were wrong, I kept running into God. And God kept running into me. And he began to challenge me about what I was thinking and what I was saying. And so during my high school years, I began a process of really reevaluating my life and all the things that I believed that were true, that I had dedicated years of my life to, began to wrestle with, really, was it true or was it not true? Which brings me to Christmas. I love Christmas. Uh, if you go over to the President's house, which, by the way, you're all invited to come over sometime and see and enjoy with the family and so on. Uh, like, I go crazy. I throw up Christmas all over the place, all right? It is everywhere because I love, I love Christmas. And part of it has to do with this story of what happened. Because it was during high school that I met two guys that, that we used to go. I, I, I went to Evergreen High School in, in Colorado, and there really wasn't much to do. Uh, so we used to go rock climbing all the time. So every day after classes, we'd just go rock climbing, rock climbing, rock climbing, rock climbing. They always find me on the side of a mountain somewhere doing some kind of crazy thing. And in my association with those two guys, we would just talk about life. You know, what, what questions, who we are, what we're going to do, what are the things we're going to face, and so on. And through their, my relationship with them, began to really uh, wrestle with this question of who is God. And what does God mean in my life? And those guys were never pushy about it or anything. They just talked to me. And we shared our lives together and, and began the process. And somewhere along the way, that process began to shift. That I began to more and more to give my life over to the very Christ that I had fought against, against for years and years and years. Which leads me to Christmas. It was someone in the late 80s in high school. And it was Christmas. It was actually Christmas Eve. And um, I was living at the time with mom, and, which means that Christmas was a no-no. It was anti-Christmas. And I knew that even though I was beginning to make this change in my life, I was really not in the right place because I was living with a family that was anti-Christian. So much so that actually a couple of years before, when I told them I wanted to live with my dad, uh, just, just, just to see what life was like. I was actually disowned by my family. On the phone, my mom said, if you make this choice to be with those Christian people, we don't want anything to do with you anymore. And I made that decision. Now, over time, we worked that out, and, and because of some other issues, I had to return back to live with mom. But I lived downstairs 
by myself. I had a room, had a bathroom, and that's where I lived. The rest of the family was upstairs. It was Christmas Eve, and something had happened earlier that day. I was handed, actually not earlier, that it was a couple of days before, because it was right before school got out. I was handed two gifts, and, and I kept those gifts, even though they were handed me at school, uh, and school had gotten out, I kept them hidden in my room, um, and I wasn't sure what to do with it. I wasn't, you know, I, I have these gifts. I, I had celebrated Christmas before, but never in the sense of understanding truly what Christmas was about. It was kind of like the secular Christmas. You do it, the Santa Claus, the gifts, that kind of thing. But this was different because there was a change happening in my heart. And so I, I remember being in my room on, on that evening, and it was Christmas Eve, and thinking, well, what do I, what do, I do? Um, how, how do I make this work? Because upstairs, my family was there, and I couldn't let them know what I was doing because that would have caused all kinds of turmoil. But I knew that they didn't come downstairs either, so I was fairly safe, but I had to make a couple of choices. And part of that was the choice of whether or not even to celebrate, to do this, to mark this moment of transition that was going on in my life. So I, I sat there and I thought about it. I said, okay, um, you know, uh, it was Christmas, Christmas. Well, um, I had a candle in my room, and I know candles and Christmas were part of the process, right? So, um, so I lit a candle. I figured that's not going to hurt anyone. No one will know about that. Okay, candle. Um, what else? What else? What Christmas music, right? You know, so um, so I went and had a little transistor radio site, turned turned on some Christmas, keeping it low so no one heard upstairs. Just turned on a little Christmas music. Okay, got that. Um, what else? What else? Ah, a tree. Everyone needs a Christmas tree, right? I mean, that's that's important. You have to have a Christmas tree. I didn't have a tree. I had this god awful ugly plant in my room. Um, mom planted that plant in my room sometime. It was my job to take care of it. And if I ever died, I got in trouble. So I had to take care of this stupid plant. Hated this plant. But I had a plant. <laughs> and I remembered red and green. Red and green, that's Christmas. So I went to a box uh, back in the, the, the downstairs. There was an old craft box. And I found some old red and, and green yarn. I remember in my room that night decorating that tree by myself, because red and green and Christmas trees are part of what you do. So I decorated that tree. So, Merry Christmas. And so there in that room that night, um, sat down and had my tree, had my candles, had my music, and started to think through this Christmas thing. Like I said, I had these two gifts that were given to me. Now this one, to be honest, this gift, uh, Somebody was just handing these out in the hall, like the middle of the high school hallway. I think they were leftovers from a fundraiser that they just didn't sell, you know. Um, so I knew, I kind of knew what it was, but it was a gift, you know, right? And so I was alone, so you know, I I, I was like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. It was a it was it was a chocolate bar, so very cool. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'd, now I have a meal in my my Christmas. It was really this gift that promoted this whole question of Christmas Eve. Those two guys I told you about, the two guys that just would share their lives with me. Um, before school got out that day, 
they handed me this gift. And when they handed me this gift, you could tell by the tone of the transfer that this wasn't just any gift. This wasn't two guys going to Spencer's and picking up some gag gift, you know, and wrapping it and ha 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 kind of thing. Like this, they, they handed to this with meaning and value to me. So I understood that it probably had meaning and value. And because of that, it was special, which is why I wanted to decorate the tree and the light and have music, because somehow it was special. I didn't know what it was, but on that evening, I began to unwrap that gift. And, and in it, um, not necessarily as a surprise, oh, it was a, a Bible. Now, you're going to think this is old and tattered. They didn't give it to me old and tattered. This is actually the same Bible that I opened up on that night back in the late 80s. Now, the reason it was so special was this was just not any Bible. I mean, you can get Bibles anywhere. Bibles are they're everywhere. Um, nowadays, you get them on cell phones. We didn't have cell phones back in the late 80s, so we had to actually read real things. Um, but this was, like, this was like the mega Bible. For you guys way in the back, this was a Thompson Chain reference Bible. Um, a Thompson Chain Reference Bible means it's a like it's an in-depth study Bible, and you got to understand. The last couple of years, I've been asking questions and questions and questions. Obviously, I had Bibles, I had read Bibles, I had fought against Christians in dealing with the Bible, so it wasn't that I didn't have access to Bibles. But this was a Bible that was given to me by the two guys that helped me understand who Christ was, and so it had incredible value and meaning to me. And it's been the same Bible that has been with me ever since that day. It's the Bible I read uh, daily in my office. It's the Bible I prepare uh, uh, presentations from. It's the Bible that I, I study when, when I teach classes. And it's been through, if you look, I mean, the binding, there is no more binding anymore. It, it's gone. Um, you know, uh, you, you ever have the excuse that the dog ate my homework? Well, that, that, look, the dog ate my Bible at one point. Um, there's a section of scripture, I'll never know what happens there. I have other Bibles. I'm okay. Um, but it's been marked up. It has been read through. It has been, and it's been with me. Now, on that night, obviously, it hadn't been with me, but for the few minutes that I had it. But I do remember that that was the night that I sat down and for the first time read the Christmas story from the perspective of being one who accepted the Christmas story. Not just one who knew the Christmas story. Not just one who was familiar with it because I had celebrated because maybe my parents uh, had been a part of that or at least my dad's side of the family. You know, and so I did the gift thing and we talked about uh, Jesus you know, and, and so on. But this was the first time that I actually was reading the story afresh and anew as one who had committed his life to the gift that Christmas really is all about. Now, why, why talk to you guys about that? I mean, why tell that story? Well, one, it's Christmas, so we get to tell stories and so on. Part, partially because it's a, it's a Christmas chapel, and partially because I do not want, in my role here as president, don't want a, another day to pass, another holiday to pass, without also providing you the time and space that you need to wrestle with that same question. You see, for me, Every Christmas Eve now, every Christmas Eve since that day, after everyone's gone to bed, 
and things are quiet. I go down to the living room. I light a candle. I don't decorate a tree anymore. Um, we, we already have the tree set up. But I open up this Bible, and again, I reread that story every Christmas Eve. Scriptures talk about things like that as uh, what they call a, an Ebenezer. Um, it's, this, it's a stone or something that's set up as a point of memory that every time you see that, it helps you recall again what happened on that moment or in that time or in that place. And so it's a reminder. And so for me, as we get closer to Christmas Eve, you've got to realize for me, this has significance because as we get closer to Christmas Eve, I know that that moment is coming when I'll sit down again with God and have that moment where I open up my heart and just remember that evening in my room where I was able to celebrate Christmas for the first time. Um, because it was the first time, that, at least that I can remember, that I had truly embraced this concept of Christmas. And so I, I, want, I want to share, or at least give you opportunity to understand part of that, because let's face it, um, I, I don't know where you're at with Christ. I really don't. You know, we're a Christian college, and there's been lots of discussion lately about, oh, yeah, you're a Christian college in name only, but your people, you know, they may not or may know Christ. Uh, maybe there's some of you frustrated because more people don't know Christ. So I don't know where you're at. Um, I've not been able to sit down with every one of you and actually have that conversation of where you're at. And, and I would believe, and I, at least I would admit that I'm not so naive as to believe that, uh, that there's many of you who don't know Christ. That you've kind of walked through life's journey much like I have. You've either anti-Christ or I don't care about Christ or it really doesn't matter to me because it hasn't needed to matter to me. And so I kind of come to this moment with, eh, yeah, all right, I'm at a Christian college. But I want to make sure that um, that one thing is very, very clear as, as we kind of move forward and we, we think about, and as I present and we talk this morning, and that is that every one of us, Every one of us, whether you know it or not, whether you, you accept it or not, whether you believe it or not, the truth is, is that every one of us already has a relationship with Christ. Now, I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you understand that. But the truth is that every one of us already have a relationship with Christ, whether we want to admit it or not. And that relationship has nothing to do with the fact that you're here at a Christian college um, you know, and hearing about Christ all the time. It, 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 it's, it's way beyond that. You see, because for every one of us, regardless of what we think, regardless of what we believe, every one of us already has a relationship. The key is understanding what that relationship is and how we're going to respond to it. Now, let me, uh, using a Christmas term, let me unwrap that for just a little bit. You see, as we... As you read the Christmas story, you, you come to terms with the fact that Jesus is God. We're talking Jesus is, you know, Jesus is. Jesus is God. And therefore, since he's God, if he's the creator, if he truly is God, then we are the created, which means we have a relationship with God, whether or not we want to admit it or not. Now, I'm going to read from the John version. Actually, I'm going to be reading John, Matthew, Luke. I'll be in Philippians. So um, I, I know some of you have talked like, hey, we need to open the Word a little bit more. Well, we're going to open the Word. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open them. 
If you have a phone, change your app over to the Scriptures. Now let's read together and take a look at what we're talking about here. Because in the John version of the Christmas story, um, we're introduced to this fundamental relationship of who Christ is. And, and, and I love, love this verse. It says this. I'm reading from John 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, when you read the whole context of what that Scripture says, the word, word, actually is pointing to Jesus. So you could replace the, 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 the name Jesus there. So in the beginning was the word, or Jesus, and Jesus was with God, or, or the word was with God, and the word, what? Was God. In other words, Jesus was God. Jesus was with God, but Jesus was God. Now, I'm not going to try to unpack all that. I'll leave that to, to Dr. Cromwell and Dr. Anderson to unpack the, the, the deep theology there. But what we do know is that he was with God in the beginning. Jesus was there with God and somehow was God, which goes on because it says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now that's one of those wonderful circular arguments because basically he's saying, because you've got to understand, when I was Jehovah's Witness, I believed that God made Jesus. Jesus was not God. He was something else. And once you do that, you destroy the very point of what the Scriptures are all about. And this Scripture very clearly points out the fact that if it was made, it had to be made through Christ. So therefore, if Christ was made, He would have had been made through Himself, which was already made, which makes no sense. So it really gets back to the idea that the Word was God. He is God. Christ is God. Jesus is God. And then, of course, as you go on for the Christmas story in John, in verse 14, alluding to the birth of Christ, which is John's Christmas story, it says, The Word, or Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came to the Father. So, in these verses, we're introduced to this wild concept that God, Jesus is God, that, that Christ is the sovereign one. We use the term lordship to describe that. He is the Lord. And the fact that, that, the, that this lordship is not something we, we have to do anything about. God, Christ, is God, regardless. It doesn't matter what we believe. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter. He is our Lord, whether or not you believe it or accept it. It just is. So the fact is, Jesus is your Lord. Now, I have to unpack that a little bit because Christians like to play with words. And so there's kind of two sides of lordship. One side is the idea, and sometimes you come in chapel and people are singing and Jesus is our Lord and so on. That, that's a totally separate thing. That, when we're talking about that, we're talking about that some point in many Christians' lives, they wrestle with the question of who God is and they give their life over to him and they ask him to be Lord. But that doesn't change the fact that he was already Lord long before that decision. That's just you making a conscious decision to say, I want you to be my Lord. Does that make sense? Prior to that, though, Jesus just is Lord. Because why? Because he's God. He's the creator. We are the created. We are in relationship with him regardless. The question is about the choice, how we decide. Now, the, the Christmas story 
as reflected in Philippians 2. So if you want to go over a few books over to Philippians 2, um, brings out another whole side to this. And this comes out of Philippians 2, and it says, uh, in your scriptures, it may be like the quoted part. It says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of men. That's the Christmas story. God came down, took on flesh, and was found in the appearance as a baby child, a, a, a human man. Okay? That's Christmas. And then it goes on. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's Easter. It's another whole talk in and of itself. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, in heaven and on earth, and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I want you to hear that. What that verse is basically saying is whether it be today, maybe you've already done it, but whether it be that you did it in the past or you haven't, so today, tomorrow, someday in the future, and if not in our future here on earth, someday when we get beyond the temporal, every one of us will bow our knee before God, Christ, and say, He is Lord. Now, you might not say He's your Lord, but you will say He's Lord. And understand that. That's everybody. Angels, demons, humans. Everyone will come to term with the reality of who Christ is. Does that make sense? So, it's important to understand that because that's just true. You are in a relationship with God. The question is whether you bow your knee today, tomorrow, or someday, but you will do it. Now, Christmas brings a whole different perspective. It turns everything, not upside down, but different. And that's what's wonderful about the Christmas story, is that it not only affirms this reality, but it introduces us to a new way of understanding our relationship with God. So, let's go to Matthew. So, we're looking at Matthew chapter 1 starting with verse 18. And this is the actual Christmas story. So let me read it to you. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because, now this is important, he will save people from their sins. So, but let me go on. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Lordship. God with us. God, the Lord, with us. But not the Lord with us to make us bend our knee and bow before his sovereignty. Why is the Lord with us? To save the people. From their sins. Even though he's Lord and has the right 
to demand obedience and demand the repercussions because of our sins. He came not to do that, but he came instead to save the people from their sins. Flip over to Luke real quick. Luke chapter 2. And I'll be reading uh, partway into 2. No, actually, let's start at 1. So this is Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he, long, he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said, here, key in again, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is what? Messiah the Lord. So again, Lord, that right to be our sovereign, but he comes as our Savior. See, the wonder of the Christmas story, the wonder of the Christmas story is this incredible, gigantic, God-sized moment where God sets in motion a plan to reconcile the relationship that we once had with him as his create, uh, created beings. To not only to know him as Lord, not to know him as Lord. I mean, we are always subjects of his sovereignty, but Christmas is about being embraced again as children of his creation. And that's a key difference. You see, though God's love for us is constant and unconditional, sin separates us from truly knowing him. While we can recognize him as Lord, sin limits us in that it confines us to this broken reality, which really defines our eternity. His lordship, oh, it's, just, it's very interesting, his lordship does not fix the fact that we are secluded from him. I want you to hear that. You are in relationship with God because he is your Lord, but his lordship does not fix the seclusion. Jesus, our Lord, through his birth, through his life, through his death, made a way for us to receive God's grace. The Christmas story, which begins in a cradle, but truly ends on the cross, allowed Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might again truly be children of God through faith alone in Christ alone. Though perhaps way overquoted, the Christmas story is wrapped up in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn it under the lordship of his right, but to save the world through him. 
that saves us. Now, you may be reluctant to say so. You may, I mean, most of us are reluctant to even talk about lordship. But the simple truth is most of us are truly looking for a Savior. You may not realize that. But every one of us advents for someone or something that will meet our, meet our deepest needs, that will somehow ease our pains, meet our longings, grant our requests, and help us become all that we want to be. We're all on a search. We all celebrate Advent because we're looking for the coming of that person. Now, it doesn't escape me that many of you have largely chosen to be here at this college. I know not all of you, but many of you chose to be here because you're involved in athletics. But I caution you, don't be fooled. You are no less looking for a savior. While you may not be thinking about it at God levels, you truly are looking for a savior, even at our base human levels. I was just talking to some of the soccer guys the other day. We were talking about nationals. We were talking about the game and everything that happened and so on. And, and somebody spoke the phrase. They said, wait till next year. Wait till next year. That's an Advent term. I don't know if you know that, but that's almost exactly what Advent is about. Actually, Jews talk all the time about next year. Next year, we'll wait for the Lord to come. That's a term of Advent, a, a position of wanting and waiting and knowing that something is coming. Something could be coming. The hope is that next year, maybe a, a new recruit, a new formation, a new development, uh, something will help lead us to victory. Well, that's what Advent is all about. That's the Christmas story. Jesus to us is that something. He is that one that provides us the victory. He's that the, the, the need that is unspoken that we don't even know we need. He is the answer to that question. Why? Because he is the Savior. Now I go back to the Gospel of Luke. In it, the angel says to the shepherds, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Just as Jesus is Lord, whether or not you choose to believe it, He can be your Savior, except there you actually have a choice. There's an actual choice involved in that. Here I go back to John. Let me go back to John. All right, Sorry, flipping you around, but it's the same story and you know, the way they interweave together. Remember I said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, that's the Christmas story, and dwelt among us. If you go down a few more verses, it says, He was in the world. He was in the world. Jesus was in the world. And though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. And you yourself may be sitting here this morning, just as I did for many, 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 many years not recognizing your need for a Savior. Though you've been created and watched over by a Lord, you haven't come to the terms because you just haven't come to the reality of knowing that I need this Savior. And that's what it talks about when it says, and the world was made through him, but the world did not recognize him. And it goes on, it says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him which may describe where you're at this morning as you go into the Christmas season, just as it did that night in my room is this realization that I had not received. I had not recognized it. Then it goes on. 
And this is the wonderful part of this John passage of Christmas. It says, but to all who do receive, to all who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Children not born of blood, nor of the desire or will of man, but born of God. So you ask the question, why is Christmas so important to me? Why is my work here at Central Christian College so important to me? Why, why do I do, why do we do the things that we do? Because every one of you should have a chance to find that quiet moment, that holy appointment, wherein you're given the opportunity to respond to the wonder and reality of the Christmas story. To come to terms with the fact that God is our Lord, but He wants to be your Savior and wants to be in that personal relationship with you. So that's what I'd like to offer you here today, a chance to quiet your hearts and minds in order to provide you the time and space that you need to reflect upon your own story, your own journey. Outside of these walls right now, and I know we're getting to the end of the semester, I hear it from faculty and staff and students alike, there, there are classes, there are practices, there are tests, there are assignments, there are presentations, even inside these walls, even as I watched you this morning. Um, you know, they're, they're, I see in your faces, there's frustrations, there's worries, there's concerns, there's grudges, there's grievances. On our phones, we have videos and tweets and chats and, and apps and all kinds of things that always clamor for our attention. We live in a cacophony of demand. This morning, what I like to do, at least for a few moments, I'm asking that each of us, all of us, would just take a few moments just to be quiet. I know it's really weird to ask in today's reality, but just be quiet, to stop, to listen, to allow the immensity of what Christmas offers us to touch our spirits, to touch our minds, our hearts, perhaps in a way that it never has before. In essence, to give you a chance to open your hearts to what it is that God may be wanting to say to you this Christmas season. For me, it was in the quietness of my room. Perhaps for you, it could be in the quietness of this very room. And I have a number of Ebenezer's in my own life that have happened in this very room. That's a story for another time. So in just a few moments, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and, um, and the lights are going to go down on stage. We'll continue to play some Christmas music in the background. But during that time, I invite you to stay as long as you want. To linger in these moments. To, to wrestle with who the Christ child will be for you this Christmas before you leave this room. When you're ready to leave, that's fine. You leave when you, when you want to. But I ask that you do so quietly. You do it reflectively. You do it respectfully. That respect this time and space of the other people around you and what they may be thinking through. But what I am asking is don't rush. Don't The moment I say amen, just don't rush out of here. Just stop for a few minutes. Just listen and be quiet. 
Don't drop things on the floor. Um, just listen and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. I, I would even go so far as to say this. We don't do this very often, and we probably need to more, but, but there's no fences down here. If you'd like to come down and pray, maybe you need to be prayed for. Maybe you need to pray for somebody else. Maybe you want to come to a reality of, I've wrestled with this Christ thing, and I think I'm ready to make that step. I, I'm just going to let you know that this area is open. Pastor Zach will come down, and myself and a few other staff, if need to, to come and pray with you and be with you. You can do that in your seats if you want to. That's fine. But I want to make it available to you. Don't rush back out into life and miss the chance to allow the Spirit of God to touch your life. So I'm going to pray now. I say amen. Pause. And when you're ready, go back. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are good and you are wonderful. And Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son that you sent and truly is a gift. And Father, it's hard because Christmas is about giving, right? And we realize that you gave us your Son, but God, really, there's really not much we can give you. What All I could give you is a broken down old heart filled with sin, filled with anger and all kinds of things. And I don't know how you can accept that. But somehow in your algebra, the gift that we bring, no matter how tattered and broken, is received by you as a wonderful, wonderful, cherished gift. And in exchange, you give us your son. So Father, I just pray that in these quiet moments, you would speak to each heart individually at whatever level needs to be. And that Father, we don't miss out on the reality that you invite us to be in a relationship, not just that we have to be in a relationship because you're Lord, but you invite us to know you as Savior so that you may save us, and keep us, and cherish us. So Lord, we lay our lives before you. Pray this in all things in Jesus' name. Amen.